0: questions okay and that's of his daughter too okay you ever been in the place you ever been in the place where you just didn't want to talk about something and you just didn't know how to get a, around you didn't want to hurt people's feelings have you ever been there keep that in mind john 21 15 through 22 john 21 15 through 22 so when they had dined, jesus said to simon peter simon son of jonas lovest thou me more than these and when he said, Lovest there, that particular word in the original is filio. That is brotherly love. And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I filio thee, brotherly love. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou, filio thou me. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I filio, brotherly love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him, Lord, The third time, Simon, son of Jonas, Agape, last time's agape, thou me. Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Agape, thou me. And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I. He was looking for that kind of love. It wasn't brotherly love he was looking for. He was looking for that love that only we should have for God and the kind of love we should have for one another. Agape love, what is it? Love, Love that just doesn't question. Love that just, it's there no matter what happens, how bad how down you are. You're there. may not be able to fix it, but you can say with your heart, I agape, I love you the way God loves you. All right? That's what he was saying. <clears throat> Verse 18. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee... Um, I am so carry thee whether thou wouldest not. Verse 19, this spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter turned about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which, <clears throat> which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? follow thou me. That's good, isn't it? No matter how many times you read that, you see something rich in all this. All right, you may be seated. I don't believe there's any leader, and and I will say this with a little bit of, uh, not necessarily reservation, but maybe with the thought of sharing it but i don't think there's any other leader that stood higher than Simon Peter unless you would you would consider the apostle paul this is a personal thing paul was a great leader great man of god and <clears throat> i did a lot wrote 14 epistles so forth but still in my my way of thinking i believe that also that that Simon Peter is one of the greatest i think he stood higher than any of them he preached the keynote message on the day of pentecost we all know that he was a key leader in the fledgling church, and his leadership was just nothing more than a pebble. But just think about this: What does a pebble dropped in a pool of water does? It makes concentric circles that goes out and goes all the way through. I mean you take a, they say if you drop an asteroid, in the ocean, you can take an asteroid going fast enough, and hit the middle of the ocean and create a tidal wave that can wipe out Tokyo and Godzilla. You know, it, it can do all that. It's just the concentric circles that that go forth. And that's what Peter did in his leadership. Those concentric circles touch us today. All the way from him. He was nothing more than a pebble that was dropped in. So, so and, and going with that, you know, we may long for positions of leadership which can place us in the limelight. Everybody wants to be seen. But leadership is more than limelight. Now, now follow this. The latter may be the result of the former, but never its purpose. I don't want to be a leader to be in the limelight, but if you are a good leader, you may be put in the limelight. It just matters of the purpose and all of it. Do I want to be a leader so I can be seen, or do I want to be a leader so that I can do something that is good and right in the in the kingdom of God? That's what leadership is all about. And John Maxwell said if you think you're you're leading and no one is following and you're only taking a walk. And really, that's all it is. And in in our frustration sometimes, we may feel we're only taking a walk. But our life and our service, every one of us that is in here, not just the people on the platform, our service, uh, you know, we're we're influencing someone. You are influencing someone with your leadership. That's exactly what all of us should be doing. You know, when, I, when a member of a church asked the doctor about his, about her, her uh, young, this is a preacher saying this, about her young daughter's cough, the doctor noticed that the mother was coughing, and after examining the daughter and finding nothing wrong, he said, "Your daughter is coughing because you're coughing, and she thinks that's the thing to do." Do you understand that? So when you cough, sometimes someone's watching. You may think that's the thing to do. Keep that in mind when you're serving God. Got someone watching you? If you're messing up and you say, well, you know, I'm trying to overcome this, but that person watching you may not understand that you're trying to overcome this situation. Okay? He may not understand that. She may not understand that. So if you've got to do something wrong, do it in, in private. Now, you know, I said that to get that reaction, but I want you to, I want you to, I want you to follow this. Think about this. You think, I always qualify everything. You've got to do something wrong, do it in private. Because the Bible says, because I've heard people say this. The Bible says, well, what's the sense? And if i got that thought, I might as well express it. Now, have you ever heard that? I've said, talked about that before. That's not the case at all. Because you do affect that person that's next to you. You know, you may have a bad thought. and You may say, I hate Brother Robertson's guts. You know, and you say that out loud, you can think that all you want. You can, you can talk to yourself and to God about how much you hate me in private, and you're gonna, you, know, you may split hell wide open, but don't make someone else follow these. you. You've got to do something wrong, do it in private. <laughs> all right. You understand what I'm saying? No, I'm not justifying doing anything wrong, but I'm saying that you double it. And I believe personally that God holds, keeps a score when it comes to things like that. He's got a book of remembrance. Yes, sir. He's got a book of remembrance, and I think he keeps score. Well, it's one thing, again, to tell him about it, because he can take care of it. It's something else to say it out where everybody else can hear it. Well, that's good preaching. Thank you, Lord. I really appreciate you telling me that. All right. So we need to influence. Our, uh, the purpose of our service to him is not leadership. It's the result of leadership. It is the result of leadership. God calls many individuals. Many are called, few are chosen. I think it's Matthew 21 that says that. Uh, many are called, few are chosen. So what? And I've got a particular uh, lesson that I teach the leaders about that. What is between the called and the chosen? And that's where, that, that's where life really really matters to someone that's got a, any kind of ministry, any kind, whether it be pulpit, whether it be an usher at the back door, whether it be uh, someone in a department. You know, you are called, but are you going to be chosen? Sometimes we operate within a, a let's say a sunday school or outreach or uh, or something of that nature we operate in it but we're not necessarily chosen at a particular time because what matters is if god's called me because a lot of people make that mistake well god called me to this but how come it's not working out it's because you're yet to be chosen for that now, do you understand what i'm saying i'm using scripture many are called few are chosen And sometimes what happens, or i give you the call, you operate. You know, the Bible says to try the spirits to see whether they be of God. That's why you can step into something and you may not, don't blame God if it doesn't work. It's something that you are not doing, something you're not listening to. Maybe you're not under authority the way you should be under authority. And if that happens then what you do, what you're doing is detrimental to that particular calling and that's why a person doesn't get chosen if you can come up against that wall this is robertson theology here you come up against that wall you know chosen's over here calls over here and i got this in between somewhere along the line i've got to figure a way over under through this particular thing i've got to figure a way all right god what have you done if i i heard a guy make a statement one time you don't have to believe this if you don't want, i don't care this is how i live this is this a personal thing if i don't get something that I feel, not, not a not, not a want, a need. All right, just, we're talking needs here, not wants. If I don't get something, whether it be healing, whatever it may be, if I don't get it, I stop after a while. All right, God, what have I done wrong? That's just me. I'm not telling you you always do something wrong. Are you trying to, number one, are you teaching me a lesson? Number two, am I just outright disobedient and honoring and rebellious? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Number two, those are really the basic two right there. Or are you trying to use me to teach someone else? We can throw that third one in there. All right. It, whatever it is, or do I need to backtrack and fix something? Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? I need to backtrack and fix something. I have always acknowledged him as my little Puerto Rican friend. Well, this morning I came by and said, my friend, I didn't put little Puerto Rican in there. So I figure I fixed it. Now God's going to take care of some things for me. Is that right? You understand what I'm saying? (laughs) I love Louie. He knows it. (laughs) You know, sometimes it's just a matter matter of trying to backtrack and figure out what is it that I failed to do. And, you know, if you don't find anything, you've not heard anything by stopping a little bit and backing up. I'm, you know, I know we, we believe, and, and I still, you know, you always got to go forward, but there are times when you stand. And sometimes in, in your mind you have to backtrack. And I'm not talking about backtracking your relationship with God. I'm talking about something that is inside that relationship with God that you have to do to take care of. Sometimes it's forgiveness. Sometimes it's, you know, giving forgiveness. Uh, these, these, uh, uh, the Emotional Life of Simon Peter was written by a, a man... Uh, uh, Michael Card it's it's, a, it's called uh, actually it's it's called a fragile stone and it is about the emotional life of Simon Peter uh, and he said this he said Simons Simons have disappeared from our contemporary Christian culture where are the Simon Peters the leaders who are not afraid to die for the cause of Christ where are the men and the women who recognize they must submit to divine authority and follow wherever God leads they're sitting on the pews and the chairs of our churches waiting to be challenged as Jesus challenged Peter. And as we need them, and excuse me, and we need them if the church is to impact the world in the way which Jesus intended. Now do you understand what he's saying? We need Simon Peters. We need them. And we live in the 21st century. And although we live there, the call to believers remains the same as in the first century when he said in John 21:19, follow me. That still is the same. That doesn't change. You know, affluence and worldly accomplishments will never satisfy an individual like responding to the call greater than yourself. Eric Erickson, I've read some of his stuff before, but in his uh, his psychosocial theory of development labeled the last stage of life, and this is interesting because as you get older you see this. Now, you young bucks will never understand this. When you get up to about 112 like I am, you will understand that. You know, there was some guy, they voted in a new pastor in a church, and, and he was one of these guys that embellished everything, just embellished everything. And finally the men in the church came to him, and he, they said, Pastor, he said, you've got to quit embellishing things. And the pastor looked at him, shook his head, and he said, You know, he said, I've, I've shed a billion tears over that very thing. A billion tears. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what embellishment means, it means stretches things. I looked at some of them, you and gave me some of that. What's he talking about? You know, that's embellishment means you stretch things. I never do that, so you don't have to worry about it. Hallelujah. Okay, so, so anyway, he said that the, the last stage of life integrity versus despair. When a person can look back at their life and realize they have nothing at all. But they have done a wonderful work in the kingdom of God. That's looking back with integrity. When you can look back at your, or when you look back at your life rather, and you look at it and you've got all these goods and all these houses and all these cars and all this stuff, but yet you're empty inside, that's looking back on your life in despair. And everybody does that. What good, what value is everything that we can gain? If we've not done something, it's going to last. I guarantee you, whatever that little goodie is that we buy, and we all do it, that thing's not going to keep you happy for one year. But what you can do in the kingdom of God, when you can look out there and see one soul that you've had just something to do with, one person that's worth everything you look back with integrity and that's that's a wonderful thing god is a storehouse full of wor- god is a storehouse full of worldly goods that cannot carry into eternity and of the of the rich fool jesus stated but, but god said unto him thou fool this night thy soul shall be required of thee when then who shall these things be which thou hast provided and luke 12:20 some people posit that that leaders are born with their skills and there may be some truth in that statement but I, I believe this, and I do believe people do have a natural uh, bend, if you would, towards, towards leadership. I, I see that, but I've also seen people who thought they did, that did a terrible job uh, and hurt a lot of people. But I, I think when it comes right down to it, that most leaders develop their leadership skills and they become leaders over time. Now there again, there are certain personality types that may be more prone to become leaders. Most like, uh, but most like diamonds, uh, diamonds mature through time and pressure. Now that's exactly what develops a good leader, whether it's pastor or whatever it may be, uh, an evangelist. It's pressure that makes the person good. It is props you, and I can promise you that everybody that's been in any kind of leadership can look back at people in their lives who helped develop them. Look back, I, I, I've got people in my mind that stay there just as fresh as a day. And I was 20, 20, I was 19, 20, 21 years old. And there's one particular guy wasn't in church, I wasn't in church, but he helped develop. If I got any leadership skills, there were certain things he did. He was a drunk, he was worthless, he was a womanizer. Okay, and he's dead now, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I still respect the man even though he was he was all these things there are people in your life that God puts there and they may not be necessarily the best people but they can say the right thing at the right time and they have skills right. yeah. one thing i always remember that he told me he was taking me down to and he said everything he said that you look at on this property as I was working for the state he said everything you look at don't look at it through your eyes look at it through a visitor's eyes i brought that right into the church Everything that you see, you, get, you see the same tear in the carpet day in and day out. But what does the visitor see? You know, you get to the point where you don't see something any longer. But what's important is what someone outside sees. And you can say all you want to about, well, it's the anointing that draws them. Well, it may be the anointing that draws them, but I guarantee the devil will use every little thing he possibly can to discourage them. That's good preaching. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Peter was no exception. Jesus worked at shaping this, this disciple, if you would. He was one of those rough and tumble disciples. Three and a half years he worked on him. Developing Peter was, was similar to a sculpture working with a marble. It takes a blow of a, of a hammer and the scrape of a chisel to shape a stone into useful building material. Can anybody really think back? Do you understand what I'm saying? When you Do you know that a piece of marble, you take a hammer, take a hammer and a chisel, you put that chisel against your hand and you smack it with a hammer? Doesn't feel good, does it? I mean, you do know, can take and leave the chisel out and just smack it with a hammer and it doesn't feel good. But we're shaped because of the hardness of the granite. It takes, or marble rather, it takes the chisel to form it. And it's the same way. We're no different. We, we are born in sin and shapen in iniquity, and you can be full of the Holy Ghost. That's the only thing that softens you. But the problem with that softening is on the inside. How do you get what's in here out here? Well, in order for that to happen on the cross, there had to be a, a, a centurion that took a, a spear and thrust it into jesus side the blood came forth blood and water and we know that's salvation we understand that's 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 the waters of waters of baptisms types and shadows but it's the same thing with us sometimes what's inside of us god has to continue to take the hammer and the chisel and shape us and every time we get to going just right we start praying a different prayer and we say oh i'd like to get to level level c or level d Level B or level zero, whatever it is you're trying to get to. And you know, then all of a sudden, okay, what's what we're going to do? So we take, the, we take the chisel and we start hammering again. Just when we stopped, just when things was going the best... Just when everything was laid out in my life and I had this, this, this pathway that I was going to go, everything was fine. And I got down and said, well, God, I, I really want to be better in the kingdom of God. It's a good prayer. It's a wonderful prayer. And then all of a sudden, bam, the hammer smacks you right between the eyes. And there you lay looking up wondering what happened. God's shaping you. Let's look at some of the things He had to shape in, in Peter. You know, it would be only human for Peter to feel somewhat special after being brought into Jesus' inner circle. Now, we know that. The Lord even... Complimented him for his spiritual insight into uh, to the Lord's identity in Matthew sixteen, seventeen through nineteen. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, now I think Jesus. Words, I I just got a feeling they probably inflated Peter's sense of self-esteem and his boldness for shortly after that was said to him. Shortly. Look what, what Peter did right afterwards. He took a liberty of drawing the master aside and denying that he would suffer and die as he claimed so what did jesus do he said you know now peter's got the he's got the keys to the kingdom whatsoever you bind on earth should be bound in heaven and and you know and here's jesus saying you know it's a short time and he said i, uh, I i'm going to be i'm going to be crucified and i'm going to go in the tomb and i'm going to i'm going to rise again now this is just you know he was telling right after he told him blessed are thou simon barjone so peter has a liberty because he's got the keys to the kingdom to come up to jesus and say, not so that's not going to happen you know like he was he was really understood what was going on and look what jesus said to him he said he turned and said unto peter get thee behind Me Satan All of a sudden The man with the keys to the kingdom Is referred to as Satan Now that's exactly how we all work One day you're on top of it One Sunday night You're leaving this place And you're doing good And something wrong happens You get inflated God gives you a word And you say something off At the wrong time Then all of a sudden You're a devil It's not always bad To be accused of being a devil Because if it makes you think Of what you just did that makes someone else think that you're a devil, then maybe you can change that before you do become a devil. Like any Christian who desires to be used of God, Peter had to learn to submit to authority. If he was ever to become a great leader. Time and again, the the master sculpture chipped away at the stone. But Jesus did not always leave Peter writhing in pain, on the ground. Instead, he invited him along and the rest of the inner circle to the top of a mountain where Peter witnessed the Lord transfigured before his eyes. Wouldn't it be worthwhile to have the chisel and the hammer used to you if you could see something like that? Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't you? Would you really mind having having the Lord use the hammer and the and the chisel on you if you could go to the top of a mountain and see him transfigured? It wouldn't bother you a bit. But what difference? It, There's things that you have not seen in the kingdom kingdom of God that can happen in a church service. There's things you have not seen. And if it takes God taking the hammer to you and smacking you around a little bit, what difference does it make if you get a chance to experience some of the miraculous power that God can show you? If you can see something magnificent right there in front of you, how would you feel? Brother... Kenneth Reeves told me one time, and some of you probably don't remember, most of you, but some of you were here at the time, and he was preaching. And he, he told me, he said he, was, he used to help a guy who was faith healer. Uh, actually, it was random he used to help. Some of you don't know who that is. Some of you do. But he said that he stood there, and they told him to always close his eyes. But he said he opened his eyes, and he said this guy was as cross-eyed as he could possibly be. And he said that he laid hands on him, and he said, I was standing there and watched his eyes straighten up in his head. Watched his eyes straighten up in his head. Uh, and my great aunt, I've told you this. She watched a man who, and to me, it's even greater. They were nowhere, but had a compound fracture. His bone was sticking out, and he and she and her husband prayed for him, and it went back and fixed itself right in front of them, and then fixed itself. God fixed it. But do you understand how powerful that is? But I can tell you in both cases what they had to endure. And she endured all the way up until the time that she died. Could it be that some of this, that reason we don't see as much as we would like to see, and I know there's things that go on. I'm not taking away from that. But I'm saying, could it be because we are failing to be able, I made this statement last Sunday morning, what has happened to the persecution of the church? I know there's things that, that god has to do to us and 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 that that would cause us to to and i'm i'm when i talk about submission to authority i'm talking about submission to not only god's authority but to those people that he placed in authority over you and not having an attitude against those people you know all of this pulls together in the same direction so you know he takes him up and he's able to see this Jesus at this time, you know he was he was Peter was in a place where you know, wow, you know the, the transfiguration of Jesus Christ seeing him as God incarnate seeing him in that that manner, and then I believe at this particular point he still is using the chisel, but it's more of a smoothing. you know I'm not going to take a big chunk off of you, Peter. I'm going to smooth things just a little bit, and there's times that we go through that. It's just not just a matter of of the intense pain but it's just a smoothing that God does on us at that time they left the mountain and traveled to capernaum where tax collectors confronted peter asking if his master had paid the temple tax you can see this in matthew seventeen twenty-four, and peter said yes hoping it was true he said yes hoping it was true <laughs> what is the difference between flat out lying and talking in faith i'm gonna have to find a message on that one time when you lie and you speak by faith and so here he's in this now. Now I want you to understand something. A lot of people don't understand this. According to the custom of Jesus' day, he, like all religious leaders, should have been exempt from the tax. But Peter needed more work with the chisel in this in this particular case, and he had to learn that no matter how important an individual is, he must be willing to submit to authority. Peter or Jesus taught Peter a lesson in this. Jesus should have been exempt. He shouldn't have paid it at all, and he could have raised a fuss. But instead, he used this as a lesson. And this—this this is things I've, I've preached and messed around with this scripture for a lot of years, and I'm never sure that I've ever really got to the to the gist of it. So he tells him this in Matthew 17:27. He said, Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast a hook, and take up the fish that first cometh by. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto them for me and thee. Now this lesson served Peter well, and years later, he conveyed that same message to others when he said this, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Whether it be the king is supreme, or unto governors, is unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well doing you may be put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And first Peter two, thirteen through fifteen. Learning to submit was closely related to another lesson that Peter had, and that was a lesson of servitude. Now think about what we just said here. Now Jesus could have just as easily created a coin at the feet and he could reach down and picked it up instead he said go take a line cast it into the sea he didn't say a that he said a line cast it into the sea and I, i'm sure that that he had to find some kind of bait i'm sure that was probably if you went as far as to take a line and a hook and cast it into the sea to catch a fish with a coin in its mouth you probably would put bait on the on the on the hook So he had to do that as well. Why did he do that? What what was the lesson in this? Could he have not taught him about submitting to authority? The authority here was the fact that he needed to pay the temple tax. Even though he didn't need to pay the temple tax, he had him pay the temple tax. And he puts a coin in a fish's mouth. Why did he go to that extreme? Is that telling us, is there something that that is teaching us? Outside of the authority end of it. What else is it teaching us? Think about that. It's teaching us that there no regardless of who you are, you cannot just sit down and not do anything and expect a miracle. There is some things that we have to throw a line in for. You know, there are some things that you just have to hook yourself. You know, so many people are just waiting. You know, I, you know, I fast and I pray and I fast and I pray. But there is a time when the, the atmosphere, and I think to me that's, that's what you've got to hook. There's an atmosphere of a miracle. There's an atmosphere of a healing. They're two different things. There's an atmosphere for that. That's what you have to hook. We miss it sometimes. And you know, no matter what, I can be up here and I can feel that atmosphere. And you may be sitting back there in total pain, but unless you are with me on that, are you there? Unless you're with me on that, nothing is going to happen. If a man is called down and said, I really feel like God is doing something, wants to do a miracle, you've got to be with me. You've got to be with me. You've got to say, yes, and God wants to give me that miracle. He wants to do that today. I, I want that to happen. You have got to be with me on that. It took Peter and a fish to create a miracle. That fish, did he swallow I Think about it. Did that fish find that coin on the bottom and eat it, or did God just put it in his mouth? Personally, this is my thinking on it. I think the, the, some egghead dropped a gold coin out of his pocket. And the fish come along, and anything that's bright and fluttery, a fish will bite on it. He just sucked it right in. And Jesus knew exactly where the fish was. Are you there? Are you with me? Are you, same same wavelength. Are we on Mars? Pluto? Okay. I think Pluto's not a planet any longer, is it? I won't talk about the one that's furthest out. Because every time you talk about it, somebody snickers about it. <clears throat> anyway. We're going to get on the same planet. It's the same way with you. You can look and be. You're the fish. Has God got something in front of you that he wants you to grasp? Has he got something there that he wants you to get a hold of? You see, unless you've got the coin in your mouth, you're never going to get the hook. And the hook is what pulls you to where you need to be. That's where the miracle comes from. But you've got to be sure that you're listening to God. So many people talk so, many, too, so much stuff. How they want God to do this, how they want God to do that. And it never happens for them because they are not talking truth. They don't necessarily want it. Don't bother to ask it. Don't even bother to come down and be prayed for until you want it. You can live a lie and be damned. The Bible says and there's a lot of people living lies. You know, I don't want to be, if you don't want to be healed, then don't go. Don't even try it. Don't hurt my faith. Don't attack my faith when I know God wants to do it. When you come down to be prayed for, wherever it is, you better be sure that you got the coin in your mouth. I'll teach this at the Baptist church next week. Jesus riseth from supper laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. You ever stop and think about how, how Peter and all the, uh, the disciples, apostles, struggled with some of the things that Jesus did, being raised the way they were raised. Do you ever stop and think how they struggled with this? Uh, they've already struggled with some of the behavior that he did, some of the things that he did. Uh, they'd observed the Lord do many seemingly inappropriate things, such as he disrupted a synagogue service by casting a demon out of a man. It doesn't make any difference. You've got to understand they were raised with a certain kind of decorum that was within the, the temple. And this, this you know, it didn't matter to these guys, this guy was writhing around on the floor with the devil inside of him. They just kept doing their traditional way of doing things. And that's how they were raised, the way churches are today. Okay? And you know, Jesus comes in, messes up a whole synagogue service, casts the devil out. Now, regardless of whether the man is helped or not, it didn't make any difference. You messed up the way we do things. Okay. Now they saw that. They also saw him forgive sins, and that's a no no, Luke 520. They also watched him kick over tables of the thieves in the temple, Matthew twenty one, twelve through thirteen. But at the same time now you this is this is they could put up with this because these behaviors demonstrated power and authority it's one thing to behave badly and get some results okay and look at this, they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, what, what, a word, what word is this? For with authority and power he commanded the unclean spirits, and they came out. In Luke four thirty-six, But here was Jesus kneeling at the disciples' feet. This was just simply unseemly. It's one thing when you have power to throw demons out, forgive sins, to do this. But to kneel down and wash someone's feet? Peter had to learn an essential lesson. In order to become a leader, because leadership and servitude are two sides of the same coin. Jesus explained, he that is greatest among you, let him be the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. Two sides to the same coin. For the night was over, Peter learned he had to die with Christ before he could die for Christ. And after the Passover meal and on their way to the garden Peter adamantly declared he would never leave or deny Jesus. Jesus included the rest of the apostles in his answer to Peter when he said this is a new King James version he said then Jesus said to them all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night for it is written I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered but after I have been raised I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter said to him even if all are made to stumble yet I will not be and Jesus said to him assuredly I say to you that today even this night before the rooster crows twice you will deny me three times but he spoke more vehemently if I have to die with you I will not deny you and they all said likewise every one of them said the same thing Uh, let me give you something that if you don't get anything else out of this morning those of you that feel any kind of pulling to leadership get this there is no shortcuts to leadership there is no way of shortening this thing absolutely no way Now, I was about four years, a little over four years, I guess, when I started pastoring here after I got in church. I'd had a lot of experience in leadership prior to that, but some of the things that I had to endure after I became pastor was because of the lack of having to do them before I became pastor. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's no shortcuts. In other words, you can't say, I made it to pastor. I don't have to go through this and that. You do have to go through it. Regardless, you have to go, and you've heard me say it a million times. I'll say it again. You have to spend your 40 years or your 40 days in the wilderness, and you will not get out of it. You will not get out of it. You might pray yourself out if you're in it for 40 years, but God will put you back in at the same place eventually. I believe you can pray yourself out of the wilderness, but you still have to go back. So what do you do? I took 40 years and made it 80 years. Well, if you ever want... Well, no, we'll get there. Yeah. So he had to... There, there's just no shortcuts to do this. No way. And it's true that some mature faster than others, but they are the ones who more readily learn to follow. The people who get there faster are the ones who learn to follow the quickest. Just as the Lord predicted, Peter thrice denied him that night, and he followed Jesus when they arrested him, but he went no further than the high priest's palace gate and courtyard and when the servants thought they recognized him as one of jesus disciples peter insisted vehemently he never knew him then he heard the rooster crow and peter remembered the word of jesus which said unto him before the cock crows thou shalt deny me thrice and he went out and it says he wept bitterly in a sense when peter repented when he wept bitterly he died with christ it took denying for him to die. I think this particular place in the Scripture did as much for Peter in in the sense of getting him prepared for leadership as when he received the Holy Ghost. Now, the Holy Ghost is the greatest gift and you have to have it. I'm not taking away from it. But somewhere along the line, and this is where people have problems, if you are struggling serving God, now I'm not talking about all of us have persecutions all of us have hardships all of us get hurt all of us uh look at that person next to us and wonder what they're going to do next to hurt me that's all part of it there's persecutions or family that will reject you you've got all these that's that happens to all of us everybody the key is how much is that pushing you towards not serving god If that's pushing you towards not serving God, then you've not been to the place, Peter, is a true place of repentance. A true place of weeping bitterly. I don't see nearly enough tears when I see repentance anymore. Because nobody thinks they've done anything wrong. But you see, it takes a change of heart to be able to serve God as much as it ch- takes the Holy Ghost. Because a lot of people say they receive the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm not going to take that away from a person. But I don't think nearly enough people weep bitterly before they receive the Holy Ghost. There are just some things that, that when I got the Holy Ghost, I just didn't do anymore. And I don't want anyone to tell me. I changed my life. And if I didn't change my life, then what's the sense of me being here? I want to be different. I wanted to be a child of God. I desired that. I don't get it. Probably never will. (laughs) Many commentators refer to the last chapter of John as a time when Jesus reinstated Peter's apostleship. But there is no indication in the Scripture that Jesus ever rescinded his call to Peter. Instead of a reinstatement, those intimate moments Jesus spent alone with Peter constituted the time in which the call to a life of ministry began to form in Peter. This call to feed the flock of God would entail loneliness, and accepting it would cost him his life. Times really have not changed. Jesus still takes men and women aside, speaks to them in muted tones, and calls them to a life of servitude. He still looks for individuals who, like Peter, are willing to feed the flock, walk alone, and even die for him if necessary. Let me give you one thing here. Let me give you this. You can come into church. We can have a red-hot worship service, or you can come down here and have a prayer meeting. We can, we can have that, and God can call you and talk to you. But it will never, ever be. If that is enough for you to start doing something, uh, you will never go very far. Because it takes time alone with Jesus. It takes time alone with Jesus. It takes not just five minutes. It takes hours. Sometimes it takes days. And sometimes it takes months. Sometimes years. For you to spend time for you to get the right place, the right time for you to step up. It takes study. It takes time. It takes God taking you constantly back and start using the chisel and the hammer on you all over again. You can have served God for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and God may still be working, God is still working on you to knock some things out. Maybe you, if you would listen 20 years earlier, you've been further along. It's just according to how badly you want it. That's what makes the difference. Three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. Three times Peter assured he did. And following each affirmative response, Jesus commanded Peter to feed his lambs, care for his sheep, and feed his sheep. Everyone who answers the call of God shares this task. Because everyone needs to hear the gospel, the good news that will save their souls. Folks, people still need salvation. I know that may sound really silly coming from me, but sometimes you forget. You can't just come into the church, sit here, day in and day out, year in and year out, and not have something touch you that will make you want to be baptized in Jesus' name and receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues. As the Spirit gives you utterance. You know, it takes every bit of that anymore. There's always people trying to find a shortcut to salvation, too. Because you stand up here and say, you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost they'll look at you. I've got it. Did you speak in tongues? Nope. You don't have it. Sorry. I can't change the Bible, so why'd I, sh- I did not even, even say sorry. But, you know, I'm just trying to be a nice, cordial person. Sorry that you are not saved. But the fact remains that you must speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And if you don't, you will never be able to go into the palace. Now I'm not talking about the Queen of England. I'm talking about the King of the universe. Amen. All right. Ah, uh, You know. The call that Peter received from the Lord that morning drove him to take the gospel everywhere. He used the keys he had been given to unlock the door to the Jews on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.14. And when word arrived back in Jerusalem that the Samaritans had received the gospel message, they needed to receive the Holy Ghost, Peter took John with him and they went to pray for them. In Acts 8, 4-25, through 25, it should be coming up behind me. I'm not going to read it, but you can look at it as we go through. It should be familiar to you, but just in case it wasn't, I thought I would have it put up there. Later the Lord told Cornelius to send for Peter, saying, Peter shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved in Acts 11.14. Where he could not go personally, his writings ministry, his writing ministry carried his words. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the stranger scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And first 1 Peter 1-1. And once the rough edges of the stone had been chipped away by the master sculptor, Peter became a loving and a patient overseer of the Lord's far-flung flock. It takes a lifetime to get that junk off of you to make you have the kind of compassion that you need. To be a leader, period. doesn't matter what kind of what you're leading. I'm telling you, you need the compassion. If it's a ministry of leading, you have to have the compassion. And it takes a lifetime of sculpting and beating you with a hammer. Do you realize how selfish we are? Do you? You ever stop and think when you're proud of how selfish you're not that how selfish you are of being proud that you're not? Do you realize that? It's the same thing with pride. You're so proud that you're not pride, prideful. You need to stop every day and look real hard at your lack of compassion and your selfishness that causes you not to have it. Because personally, I've always felt that that was the key right there. You know, the, the, it's a selfish spirit that keeps a person from being compassionate because they want it all for themselves. I want everybody to... You know, I can't even tell people how bad I feel anymore I having to hear all the bad your problems. I think I deserve it. I'm an old man. I'll be able to go around and tell you how bad I feel. You know, my arm hurts. My knuckles hurt. I got all these pains. And, and now I can't even tell anybody. Oh, you ought to have what I've got. And so I just turned and walk away. <laughs> said, I need a little compassion here. Well, I, you got to give before you get. Oh, okay. All right. I we'll have to give a little compassion. <laughs> oh. <sighs> So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? The call of God to any form of ministry is a call to walk alone. That need not equate with a lonely life, because a life in Christ is rich with friends and family. However, at times the burden of leadership causes ministry solitude. I'm going to give you a scripture here that um, uh, this commentator really it really opened my eyes on something that I never looked into it that deeply before. And as pertinent to this subject, Jesus made a statement that is difficult to reconcile with his teachings on love. And it's this, and I want you to listen. If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. In Luke fourteen twenty six. the Greek word for hate is M-I-S-E-O, means exactly what it says. It's no, no difference in that word. That word, misio, means to hate, like we understand hate. Okay? But but here, in this particular case, the connotation of the word indicates a comparison and degree of affection. This is the key to the word. In essence, Jesus was saying, now I want you to follow this, because what he was saying here can make the difference of understanding. If anyone comes to me and loves not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and his own life less than he loves me, he cannot be my disciple. So what he was saying in this was, you can't love them more than you love me. If you love them more than you love me, then you can't be my disciple. A great love for Jesus Christ compels a person to give his life to him and for him. So when Jesus calls an individual to a life of, of service, there always seems to be someone who has an easier road but who seems to receive equivalent or even greater rewards. Doesn't that, make, doesn't that upset you? You, you, just, you just, now here, we'll use, use Brother Kraus. Brother Kraus, he has been here since Lassie was a puppy. Oh, man. That's a long time. He set through class after class after class. He has the right to be the associate pastor. And he looks at, at Brother Hill over here. here be, here's about the same. They're both losing it. So there's no problem there. But he, lo- <laughs> but he, he looks at him and he sees, he sees in him, you know, he didn't have to go through nearly what I had to endure. And look where he's at and look where I am. You got it and that was the you know peter was looking at john who laid his head on jesus breast and all these things and you know and 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 you know he was he had a problem with some jealousy there is what he had and you know, he looks at jesus he said now you're telling me that i'm going to have to i'll be an old man someone's going to gird me and then he said and then he said then i'm going to die on a cross and you know it, it's all there you said i'm going to die well what about this guy what what about him now, this is some rich words here. This is, this, is, this is what you would love to be able to tell people. You know, I need to just write this scripture down, put it in a little card, and I can get it out and read it. You know, if I decide this guy is going to tarry until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. You are doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Now, just follow me in the thing that I've called you to do. That's what he was telling him. That just, just, just follow me. Do what I told you to do. You know, following Jesus Christ in an individual matter. And the Lord saves us individually. He gifts and commissions us individually. He speaks to us and directs us individually. Peter momentarily forgot this fact. He became overtly interested in the will of God for John's life. You know, sometimes if we spend so much time worrying about why someone got this or got that, we miss what God's doing with us. I got one amen out of that. One. It was repeated. And I appreciate that. But I got one amen out of that. I'm going to try this again. You ready? Are you ready? Peter momentarily forgot this fact. he became become overtly interested in the will of God for John's life. Amen. You that will come up on here? Do you think that would be good? A, amen. Great big old. And I think, man, I'm doing good up here. And I'd be a protector exactly right over here. <laughs> I could be like Obama. <laughs> could read it right off. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord have mercy isn't it fun to be It's apostolic yeah, fun. i think sometimes we forget but sometimes we forget a lot of things don't we? we're we human beings and that that's the thing that doesn't excuse us but on the other side of it it explains a few things it certainly explains a few things you know be interested in what god's doing in you be interested in what god's doing for you you know, whether or not it seems fair, God called Peter to give his all to shed his blood for the cause of the Christ. And, and, and sandwiched between his final, lovest thou me and follow me, Jesus told Peter that not only would answering the call cost him his life, but his life would end in a torturous cross, John 21, 18 through 19 contemporary christians particularly those in north america now listen to this uh, have forgotten that a call to serve and work for the lord could cost them their lives in reality every apostle except john laid down his life for the gospel's sake and you know i'm sure it wasn't pleasant to be boiled in oil now god had to protect him in that but still the fact is you're in boiling oil and what your thoughts would be going through right then god only knows you know, and you think, why should the, why should we think that the rules change for us in the 21st century? Why 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 would God change what He's always done just for us? Like we're something special. Remember the word that I said unto you: the servant is not greater than his lord. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. In John 15:20. But even in the face of extreme persecution, it was stated that the apostles turned the world upside down. In the midst of the worst of the persecution, they were turning the world upside down. Interestingly enough, they had great miracles that occurred, but obviously along with those miracles was extreme persecution. It's obvious. We know that. And along with all that, they were having thousands and thousands of people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So there's, the, 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 there's two ingredients that you have to... It, obviously, the great persecution somehow led to great miracles. Great miracles led to a lot of people being saved. Three and a half years, the apostles and disciples had followed Jesus, but overnight, the Jewish authorities took him away and left the disciples behind. Now, a study in the book of Acts reveals that Peter arose as the leader of that fledgling group called the church. Eugene Peterson, in his introduction to Peter's letters, described Peter as a leader in action. Now, this is, this is something that I think all leaders need to really uh, internalize. Because he says in this, he said, the way that Peter handled himself in that position of power is even more impressive than the power itself. You know, it's one thing, Peter never wielded power. He never put himself in the center. And you think about men today. You think about people that in any way that God is using, and look what they begin to do. They begin to put themselves in the center, and everything revolves around them. Peter never did that. He kept the attention on Jesus Christ at all times. He kept that attention. And that alone gives him prominence as a leader. You know, and you think about it. I mean, the promise that he would have in the association that he had with Jesus would have been enough to pull people to him, and he could start started his own little thing there. I mean, that, that, that's the big division right now in the, in the uh, Muslim world. One of them is Muhammad, the other group is Ali. That's the reason you know Muhammad took both names. He thought he was a great Muhammad Ali. But that's the cousin, the cousin of Muhammad, after Muhammad died, he wanted a group of them, and they broke off. And they fight each other as much as they fight us. Simply because somebody, I, I was close to him, so I should have my own group. Peter never allowed that to happen. And that he didn't do it gave the frequency with more spiritual leaders, given the frequency, rather, with more spirit, with, with spiritual leaders to do exactly that is impressive. Peter was a breath of fresh air, and he really is. He never tried to bring things to himself. Now, during that 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension, the apostles had been on an emotional roller coaster, experiencing loss, disillusionment, despair, guilt, forgiveness, hope, regain, and finally amazement that they saw their risen Lord ascended in Acts 1, 9 through 11. As they walked towards Jerusalem in response To the Lord's command, they may have spoken of their amazement of the supernatural events of that day uh, or of their apprehension about what would happen now that Jesus was gone. They may have felt like a flock without a shepherd, leaderless, and they were vulnerable. They may have felt that way. They saw amazement. They saw the risen Lord. They saw Him. They knew this thing was real. There was no doubt about it. This is a real thing. So when they arrived in this upper room, after they saw this, but they still, the despair, the fact that Jesus had been with them three and a half years. So when they arrived in this upper room to fulfill what he told them to do, you know, and they've been staying there, they've been, spent all the time there, 40 days, staying, or 10 days rather, perhaps no one was surprised when Peter stepped forward to organize them. So all the time they've been spending there, now you see Peter stepping forward, now we're going to get things organized it wasn't a surprise. He just naturally fell into that particular position. He had the keys, yes, but there was something about him that was different. And in those days, he said, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said in Acts fifteen, his words served to establish an organizational structure for the early church. They followed his suggestion, prayed, chose Matthias to replace Judas. Now, I don't know. You know, I know. I know that, uh, that Paul was the one who replaced Judas, but that did not change the fact that God honored Matthias. There was more, there was more apostles around. People still try to, to bring, that, you know, bring this thing back. Maybe Matthias didn't see the risen Christ, but there was something. There was some, Maybe he did. I don't know that he didn't see him. But there was something to the fact here that Matthias was still honored, and there was others that was honored as apostles as well. But we look just at the twelve because the Scripture is talking about the twelve. But there was other men that did things that were considered to be apostles. So, you know, we can't, can't take away from that. And what the leader said that day was sufficient to keep them together, and they received the promise. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm jumping through it here. Filled with the Holy Ghost and begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance in Acts 2, 1 through 4. As they worshiped and praised God, Peter noticed that the street was crowded with hundreds of curious onlookers. He stepped forward and he spoke. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said to them, You men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel in Acts two fourteen and 16. Peter opened the door to salvation by preaching the first sermon in the early church. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and that same day they were added to them about three thousand souls. A leader demonstrates leadership in more than being an esteemed as a leader. It's more than just being esteemed as a leader, acclaimed as a great preacher. Or noted as an individual whose very shadow could cause someone to be healed. Acts 5.15 will be coming up behind me. Now you think about that. That would be enough, wouldn't it? Okay, this is Peter. This guy just walks by and his shadow falls on someone who are healed. We're going to esteem him great. But it's more than that. It's more than that. It's so hard to get through the ego of so many people who want that. I want that. But so far my shadow has anything, And it's even gotten bigger as I got older. I could get two people healed in my shadow now. But so far it's not happened. I'm not saying that it won't happen. But I found out a long time ago that leadership is more than my shadow healing people. And everybody said, throw it up here, says amen on the back here. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) Leadership also is evinced when an individual receives correction. Let's follow that in for just a little while. Peter received a strong reproof from a fellow apostle when Paul, a latecomer to the ranks of the apostleship, withstood him to face in Galatians 2.11. In Antioch, in Antioch Peter had shared meals with the Gentiles and other Jews and who, were, who were there and had followed his example. And soon James sent some Jews from Jerusalem. And after they arrived in Antioch, Peter withdrew from his new Gentile friends for fear of criticism. The Jews from Antioch followed suit. So whatever Peter did, the Jews from Antioch did the same thing. And so he was a double-minded man in this particular case. But this is the great thing about Peter. Paul said, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all. I would never do that, but Paul did it in front of everybody. Here was this great... Apostle who had the keys to the kingdom preached the first message, and you got Paul, who's a latecomer, who stands up in front of everybody, and and, and for all of them, and he said, "If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of a Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews?" Not only did Paul rebuke Peter in front of them all, but Paul preserved the record in Scriptures for all succeeding generations to read and heed the lesson. Now Peter could have resisted this rebuke, and since he was the acknowledged leader of the flock, for Jesus had given him the keys to the kingdom. However, Peter's lack of retaliation and the fact that the incident was never brought up again suggests that Peter manifested the integrity of genuine leadership by acknowledging his wrong and continuing to fulfill his call. Ivor Powell commented on the moment in Peter's life, and he said this, and I quote, It is interesting to consider that Peter never issued a rebuttal. If he quietly accepted Paul's rebuke and refused to defend his foolish act, then he proved himself to be one of the greatest of all Christians. It is always wise to remember that Christians are not condemned because of their mistakes. God is more concerned with the manner in which they handle those mistakes. That's what God is concerned about. And as you stand with me, true leadership, or true leaders rather, not only lead, but exercise grace when they are corrected. That is good leadership. Come early to pray, men, like you're always doing. We have had such wonderful services, haven't we? And I know we're in the middle of July. Thank God it's midway. We've got one more stinking holiday. Then we could get the kids back to school and have church again. I always say that every year because, see, I wait till the fall before I take off. So I'm godly because I stay through the summer. It's because I never want to get out in all this heat is what the problem is. That's how anybody could even, uh, I don't know if anybody could even enjoy camping in this kind of weather. It's fun. Set and sweat. What did you do during your vacation, Set and sweat? Oh. Okay, come early to pray. Let's, let's keep this revival spirit going, what you saying. Let's raise our hands to the Lord right now together. Father, we thank you for your blessings, and I praise you, glorify you for all that you have done. We look to you, Lord, for your help and strength in everything that we do, and I ask God that you would be with us this day. Keep us safe, touch us in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. You're dismissed.